there's a commotion in the hallway. What's going on out there? Well, lo and behold, it's A1 and B1, and they're fighting in the hallway. Back we are for another episode of the Basketball Rules Expert, the show where we take National Federation of High School basketball rules, lift them off the printed page, breathe life into them, simplify, clarify, amplify, back to you in a form you can take with you onto the basketball court where it's most important. Greetings again, everybody. It's Greg Austin with a betterofficial.com. I've been a high school basketball official for quite some time. And I consider myself to be a basketball rules expert. This show has the sole purpose of helping you become a basketball rules expert as well. Before we get started with today's show, shout out to show supporters, Brad Groninger, Mark Wattier, Stephen May, and Scott Jacobson. Much appreciated and much love. If you want to support the show, you can find a link in the show notes Below. All right, today another mailbag episode. If you have a question you'd like to submit for a future mailbag episode, you can leave it in the YouTube comments below or you can submit it on the website. There's a link in the show notes. All right, let's open the mailbag and get started with today's episode. Jack Davis via YouTube. When the thrower extends the ball through the plane and the defender touches it, you forgot that a team warning for delay would also be issued? Or does this not apply for when the thrower extends the ball through the boundary plane? That's exactly right, Jack. It does not apply because the warning for delay is not for contacting the ball if it's been extended through and it's over the court. Contacting the ball in that instance would be legal. The warning for delay is for violating the boundary plane. And in this situation you describe, the, which we had in our previous video, um, there was no violation of the boundary plane. So therefore, no team warning for delay would be given. Thanks for the question, Jack. Luke on YouTube asks, if a thrower extends the ball through the boundary line and a defender touches the ball, Does that give the ball inbound status? Should we chop the clock? Or would we keep our five-second count and just keep on as usual? Let's remember that when we have a thrower who extends the ball through the boundary plane, a defensive player contacts the ball. NFHS is fudging around the rules here a little bit. Logically, a player whose status is inbounds touches the ball. The ball should gain inbound status, right? But in this special circumstance where we have a thrower and the ball has not been released on a throw-in, that concept goes out the window. So we should, as you describe, continue, you know, the, the defense contacts the ball. We continue our five-second count that the thrower has to release the throw-in, and we do not chop the clock because the throw-in has not ended. So it just recognize it's a funky situation, right? We get, well, wait a minute. The, the, we got a player inbounds touching the ball, a player out-of-bounds touching the ball. We just have to say, okay, look, this, this unique situation, NFHS said this is how we're going to handle it. And it's uh, contrary to some 
fundamental understandings the rest of the rules hold, but it makes sense when you think about it. Chaz B on YouTube. A1 extends the ball across the plane and a tie-up ensues. If A1 is out during the the tie-up, wouldn't he be out? You said it would be a jump ball. Again, we're, we're coming back to the same situation, a funky part of the rules. The logical part of our brain says, wait a minute. But NFH says, NFHS says that during a throw-in, until the throw-in is released, let's disregard the out-of-bounds and inbound status of the players involved and just treat it in the way they describe. Hey, if we could stop here just for a second. If you find value in the content, hit that like button below. Super helpful when it comes to the YouTube algorithm. Helps our show get in front of more basketball officials so that we can all get better together. Thanks so much. Chalky Machado on YouTube. You said wristbands must be below the elbow. What can be worn above the elbow? For example, a black armband around the bicep to signify the loss of a team member. What can that material be? Okay, by rule, if there's something that's memorializing player or somebody related to the team or the school, etc., there are parts of the jersey, the neutral part of the jersey, the side panels of the jersey, where that can be, those things can be applied. They're subject to size restriction, but that is defined by rule. Two and a quarter by two and a quarter square uh, in the neutral part of the jersey, on the on the uh, side inset panels, player uh, memorial commemorative patches or decoration can be worn. If fit, there's no there's no color restriction on physio tape. So in theory, if each player had black physio tape around their bicep, by rule, that would not be a violation. Okay. But what can be worn above the elbow? Braces. Braces can be worn above the elbow. Tape can be worn above the elbow. Just to answer that question directly, right? A soft brace, you know, to to reduce shoulder movement that comes down on the arm, that would be legal. Uh, If you think about it, a shooting sleeve extends above the elbow. So there you have it. But wristbands are not allowed to be worn above the elbow. And commemorative memorial patches or indicators would be worn in a certain part of the jersey. Shane asks, a player leaves the visual confines after receiving two player technical fouls. Does the bench receive a technical for the player leaving the floor? So we have a bit of a gray area here. But let's understand the fundamental principle of the bench area and why players are, even after disqualification, are required to be in the bench area. Imagine a scenario where we have two players, A1 and B1, start fighting. Boom, boom, boom. They're on the court, shoving, pushing, grabbing each other, right? They're broken up. They're both ejected for, with flagrant technical fouls, Okay. The officials say, all right, both you two, you're going to the locker rooms, right? Game starts again. We resume play. Suddenly there's a commotion in the hallway. 
what's going on out there? Well, lo and behold, it's A1 and B1, and they're fighting in the hallway, right? So this is obviously a scenario we don't want to get, or we don't want a player to be confronted by a family member from an opposing from the opposing team, etc. It's all about player safety, right? That's the fundamental concept, player safety. We don't want unattended students potentially in harm's way, either of their own making or somebody's somebody else's. So that's the fundamental rule. Now, a uh, player gets two technicals. They're upset. Their parents come down and they say, we're taking him home. We're taking him home. This is not good. We're upset too. We're going to take him home, right? That's their prerogative, bottom line. Or if the coach wants to take a, an assistant coach and take the player to someplace that they can calm down, that's okay too. Let's think about it. During the game, player has to use the bathroom. They're going to get up and leave the bench and they're going to go use the bathroom, right? We're not there to police that activity. T- player needs to get his ankle taped, right? He's going to go to the trainer's room down the hall to get his ankle taped or to get a cut attended to, etc. There's reasons why players leave the bench area. So let's keep that in mind. So we don't have the specifics on this play, but in in principle, the bench area is not a prison. It's not, uh, it's, it's there. We want players under the control of the head coach for their safety. But player gets injured, has to go to the hospital. What? Got a technical foul? That doesn't make any sense. Players can leave the bench area. Common sense has to apply here. So in this instance, the bench would not receive, there would not be a player technical on the team member who left the bench area. Shane Jones. A player gets two technical fouls and is disqualified. If they leave the playing area, if there's another adult to supervise, is there a further technical fouls? I've heard that the reason that a player is disqualified to the bench is because of lack of adult supervision. And Shane, that is 100% correct. And just as we talked about in the previous play, there is no additional penalty in this instance. Player safety is paramount. If the player goes to, leaves the visual confines, as it were, to, with a, with a, under adult supervision, it's out of our hands. There's no further penalty by rule. Tony asks, if a player has merited free throws, but time has expired, why not shoot the free throws? I mean, what would it harm? Adds to the player's stats. Good practice. I'm sorry if it makes the officials late for some date, but isn't player development important too? Oh man, listen now. My dates are really important. (laughs) Come on, Tony. No, by rule. We don't want to have activity that will not affect the outcome of the game after the game. If the player wants to step to the line and shoot their free throws when the, after the referees have less, left the visual confines, that is prerog- their prerogative. But by rule, we will not shoot those free throws as part of the game. By rule. Straightforward. Thanks, Tony. Young Yip, 
What if the three-point goal is good during an intentional foul? Would the shooter or sub be awarded two free throws on the ball? The answer is yes. Yes, they would. Because the penalty for an intentional foul is always two free throws and the ball at the spot nearest the foul for the two free throws being attempted by the player or their eligible substitute if they were not able to continue. Except in one instance, the missed three-pointer. In that case, we'd shoot three. All right, Young, thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us today on the Basketball Rules Expert YouTube show. Much appreciated. If you have a question you'd like to submit, there's a link in the show notes below, or just simply leave your question or play scenario in the comments. I answer as many YouTube comments as I possibly can. If you found value today, time to do all the things. Hit like. If you're not already a subscriber, hit subscribe and the notify bell so you don't miss out on any of our new content. And if there's another basketball official you know that can find value, share the video with them so we can all get better together. Shout out again today to show supporters Brad Groninger, Mark Wattier, Stephen May, and Scott Jacobson. Much appreciated and much love. If you'd like to support the show, you can always buy us a coffee. There's a link in the show notes and above. We have additional video content for you here. Make your choice. Choose wisely. And we'll see you in the very next video. Take care. Thank you.